All right, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. Our official sponsor, as always, is Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel, and our other sponsors, Learn Pro Poker and Website Amp. This is episode 196, and today we have a chance to uh, share with you uh, part two of our discussion with Matt Hunt. Uh, fantastic stuff. You're really going to enjoy that. Uh, but let's first introduce our panel. My name is Steve Fredland. I am at Rec Poker Steve in our Poker Stars home game, and Dan Reed once said that you will show your poker greatness by the hands you fold not the hands you play i'm andrew feist i'm dealer uh 412 on the poker stars home game tim burton once said one person's craziness is another person's reality <laughs> uh, and i'm chris jones i'm 5b5 on twitter and 5 by 5 in the poker stars home game and my billion dollar quarantine idea is a poker solver, but helping you decide what's for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Jim Reed or Bluffsterini in the home game. And my advice this week is don't set mine with a short stack. Oh, I'm John Somsky and Poker Geek MN everywhere else. And just in case you don't know, according to Chris Fox Wallace, I am the nicest guy in poker. <laughs> I'm Rob Washam, uh, Radman50 on Twitter and the PokerStars home game. And according to Tommy Angelo, poker is a game of choices, not chances. Nice. Good stuff from the geniuses on the panel. And just a reminder, uh, if you want more of this genius, uh, if you want to be part of the community, uh, that's what we are. Uh, we're a podcast, we're a website, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, uh, we're a poker learning community. We're encouraging, we're positive. Uh, we have a blast. We celebrate victories. We build relationships. And you can join us for free at rec.poker. Uh, and if you want to go premium, use the code recpoker. You get 10 bucks off your first payment. Uh, so with that, uh, we introduced last week, uh, Matt Hunt. And if you didn't have a chance to listen to that or to watch that episode, do it. Uh, you know, this one is going to be great in and of itself, but I uh, really recommend you listen to that episode first. Uh, but this is part two of our conversation with Matt Hunt. All right. Well, we are back uh, with Matt Hunt as promised uh, episode uh, number two in the series with Matt. Uh, fantastic stuff. The first time, Matt, thank you again so much for joining us and, and welcome back to, uh, to the episode. Glad to be here once again. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, um, you know, last, last time we didn't talk a lot about uh, sort of your mental health journey. We touched on it a mm -hmm. little bit. Uh, and that's obviously been something that's, that you've been going public with uh, more and more or, over, over the recent months. So let's, mm -hmm. let's, let's jump into that a little bit and kind of talk sure. in the, the beginning of your journey, I guess. I'm not sure how to phrase the question, but kind of when you started, um, you know, wanting to communicate this or when your mental health journey started for yourself. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's kind of two parts to it. There's the, there's the, uh, the part where I started, uh, actually experiencing ups and downs in terms of my mental health. And then there's the part where I started actually becoming conscious of that and becoming active in, in dealing with it and talking about it. Um, and, the the first part begins when I was like six years old, you know, I was diagnosed with anxiety when I was about six, but, um, for a variety of weird reasons, I kind of wasn't, I didn't even really have a memory of that diagnosis through adulthood. Like I didn't really kind of know that I'd been diagnosed. I only found out in a later conversation with a family member, like, oh yeah, you were diagnosed with anxiety when you were six years old. I was like, mm. you could have, you could have told me like when I was at some point in my adult life, you could have mentioned this, you know, yeah. but uh, anyway, um, the, the part of me actually being active in this regard and, um, 
trying to talk more about it kind of began, I think probably, it probably began not too long after my poker career began really in that, uh, that was the first time I started seeing a therapist because I was, I was living alone playing poker for a living online. Uh, it was not exactly the most fun way to live life. And I wasn't having a great time. You know, I experienced depression symptoms. I experienced anxiety symptoms. I had a bunch of ups and downs around that time that I, I now recognize as a natural byproduct of the type of, uh, lifestyle that I was living. But at the same time, I was, you know, in my early twenties, I didn't know a lot about how to manage my own mental health because I had never been taught anything in that regard. And, uh, I kind of progressed from there in terms of having, um, having become aware that this was something that I needed to take care of. It then became, you know, a couple, a couple of years later, I, I was in a, a group therapy environment and I ended up meeting my wife, uh, online during the same time period. So that kind of snowballed where I, through meeting my wife, I started to become more aware of, you know, I, I started to get somebody else's perspective on how I was acting in certain situations and, and, the symptoms I was experiencing and things like that to the point where somebody else could now say to me, Hey, you have anxiety, like, or like you are depressed right now, or you are experiencing depression. And, um, that type of thing took me, uh, a while to, I wouldn't say it took me a while to come to terms with, but it, I would say it took me a while to really understand that this was something that wasn't just going to go away as soon as I made a big tournament score or mm. to, to like go away as soon as I lost 20 pounds, you know, it wasn't going to be something like that. It was going to be a journey as you put it, um, that lasted a long time. And then it wasn't going to just be a, a thing that I could like turn it off at some point, you know? Um, and I think that, uh, that, you know, that realization that this was something that was likely going to affect me permanently, didn't really come until the last year or so, you know, so it's been very much an evolving process for me. I think that the, the act of starting to, to share things related to it, it partially comes as just having spent a lot of time, um, you know, privately with, with my wife and with my therapist and things like that, having just explored, um, ideas related to you know, what's, what's important to me and what do I, what do I want to get out of life and what do I value in the relationships that I build with people? Um, but it also comes as a, I think a product of, um, just having recognized that there are a lot of other people in poker who are suffering the same way. And part of that is because there's a lot of other people in society that are suffering the same way, you know, and we're a society that has a lot of, uh, has a lot of problems, uh, addressing these, these things. And, um, whether it's within poker or outside of it, I, I think that I came to a, a point at a certain, uh, a certain time where I, I kind of felt like the, the best way for me to ensure that I was always doing, doing right by myself and making sure that I wasn't going to, um, you know, experience, uh, things that I didn't want to, you know, I wasn't going to slide back into periods of depression or things like that. Um, was to continue to not only help my wife who also has her own mental health struggles and, and, uh, I've been very active in trying to help her with those, but to, to try to make steps to pass on what I've experienced and what I've learned that in a way that could help other people. And, um, I, I think that at the time when, 
the time when I started to realize, Hey, I actually have kind of a platform that I can communicate to people, you know, on social media, you know, I have people who follow me on Twitter. I have, um, a certain kind of, um, profile, a very mediocre profile, but a profile nonetheless in the poker industry. Um, you know, I, it made me realize I can communicate with people in a way that they might relate to. And that's something I think the world needs. So uh, I think after a certain point, it just became natural to, to start talking about it more openly. A few years ago, I had my, my first ever and only really bout with anxiety. And it, uh, mm-hmm. so it's different than yours. It was more of an, uh, an acute occurrence, sure, uh, but it lasted yeah. for a few weeks. And mm-hmm. um, not to tell my story, but at the end of it, I was thinking, is this what people with anxiety are going through? Like, this is awful. Right. Like, you know, it gave me a newfound understanding of it because if you haven't gone through depression or if you haven't gone through anxiety, I think it's really hard to mm-hmm. understand how crippling that can be in, in yeah. many different ways. And, and for me, it kind of woke me up to this issue of mental health because now it was my problem, of course, right? An American, mm-hmm. right? So now it's my problem. So now I'm going <laughs> to get worried about it. But, you know, I, I started learning more about that. And mm-hmm. I really was like, wow, are people actually walking through life feeling like this anxious about Mm -hmm. this depressed about this and it was really hard and so um you know for you that that doesn't sound like it's an acute thing it's more of a chronic ongoing thing or do you want to maybe describe a little bit about what what is going on with you in in your situation I, i think that um i think that chronic would be would be a good way to describe it but at the same time it's manageable you know i i think that um what i what I probably didn't acknowledge for a long time is the extent to which the environments that I grew up in influenced the way that I perceived the world around me um, as an adult. You know, so I grew up in environments where I felt like I had to be on edge all the time. You know, because I had family members that would be very quick to sort of jump at me if I did something wrong. Uh, I had, you know, people people in my environment, whether it's every everybody from like kids in high school that would bully me or kids who would, you know, um, sort of scrutinize and just look for something that they could bully you about. Even if they didn't actually end up finding something, it's like high school is this kind of environment where if you're a kid in high school and you show some kind of weakness that makes you different from everybody, like kids are going to bully you about it. And so, um, whether it's family environments or that, or, or anything else, like even, dumb stuff like sports coaches that you had for one year when you were nine who yelled at you one time. And, and, you know, and you like, you, you look at this stuff and you think that it shouldn't matter, but you actually realize when you, when you go into therapy and you talk about it and you, you pick it apart and you analyze where certain beliefs that you have came from, you start to realize, Oh, ever since this particular thing happened when I was 10 or whatever age, I have at some level believed that, if I do X, then Y will occur. And a lot of my mental processes since that point have been designed around preventing X from happening because Y is something I'm afraid of. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's essentially what anxiety is. Um, and when you're anxious on a continuous basis, you have this ongoing fear of something that you can't quite describe or can't quite put your finger on exactly what it actually is or what, it is that you're actually afraid of, you know, so someone might be, someone might think that a person could be anxious about a, a, a specific p- 
personal event that's going on. Like they have to give a presentation at work or something like that. It's, it's not, people understand that it's natural to be anxious about something like that because they understand that it's natural to feel like if I mess this up, I might lose my job. Or if I don't do well, I will not get a promotion or something like that. They, people have a very clear understanding of action consequence, but with anxiety, what happens is your perception of action and consequence is all messed up because your perception doesn't accurately represent what's likely to happen. And even then, when you're told that a certain thing is incredibly unlikely to happen, that doesn't actually make you feel any better mm -hmm. because as soon as there is a greater than zero possibility of it happening, now your brain thinks maybe this is going to happen. What if, you know? Um, so the, the thing that's made the biggest difference for me in terms of the, the times when I've experienced anxiety symptoms is to, to recognize that or to like follow the timeline beyond the thing that I'm afraid of. So like, let's say the thing that I'm afraid of happens. Well, now what comes next? What, what, what happens after that? And to, to work to internalize the idea that even if this thing that I'm afraid of happens, I'll still be okay. And, um, and the, the people that I know who experience the least anxiety are the people who have, and I, I have a, in fact, I'll just say it. I, Matt Berkey is the guy I have in mind here when I'm thinking of this, because he's always, I think he made a big difference for me in this regard. He's always had this mentality of like, if I go broke, I'll just back myself to not be broke again pretty quickly <laughs> after that, you know? Mm -hmm. And that, like that mentality, when I first heard him talk about that, it kind of blew my mind a little bit because I was like, wow, I actually have the option to just have that level of self-belief and say, well, I could fuck things up. Sorry. Am I allowed to curse on this? You're okay. I just, okay, good. All right, good. I, I just, I, I, well, well, I guess that's, that's when the show there. Uh, thanks so yeah. much. For <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know I how curse, you do so things in the UK, but <laughs> Hey, we're polite. We, I should, we should ask first before we curse in the UK. So, you know, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta make sure. But anyway, if I, uh, if I, you know, I have the option to just have the level of self-belief that if I were to just mess up everything in my life, then I could still rescue it and I'd still be okay. Mm. Um, and at the time, like uh, this was a few, the first time I met Bucky was a few years ago, like three years ago at the time, like I didn't have that mentality at all. I was like, if I messed up things in my life, then I'd, I'd just be done. Like, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know what was in my mind as to what circumstance I thought would occur if I went broke or like my, something went wrong in my poker career and I just couldn't win anymore or something like that. But that's, your, that's your experience, right? Your experience was, you know, you're afraid to screw up because every time you screwed up, you know, there's a negative consequence. You're constantly right. in fear that, of that's, that. Yeah, exactly. But like when you, when you actually pick it apart mentally... Right. Like you can't put your finger on the thing that you're afraid of. You can't say, I'm afraid of this. So I'm going to take this action to prevent this from happening because your brain can't identify exactly what it is you're afraid of. Cause it's some hypothetical thing that goes way back and you can't pick it apart. But, um, you have that anxiety because there's some kind of fear that exists, um, of a consequence that you can't define. And so you don't know what you can possibly do that can make you feel better or that can make the anxiety go away because you don't even know what it is you're trying to prevent, you know? So it's a, it's a cyclical thing. And that was, uh, in terms of anxiety, that was very much my experience for a big portion of my, my poker career. Um, that I, I think that, uh, largely one of the, one of the primary reasons I, um, have never really, I think reached the potential that I probably had as a player in poker 
is, is because of, of that simple factor that I had, I never had the ability to dis, to fully dispel the fear of failure that came along with gambling for a living. You know, the, the fear of failure that comes with like, man, if I go through a really bad downswing or if I just like play bad for a while, what's going to happen in my life? You know, am I going to have to go quit and get a regular job? Like I never was able to conquer that on an anxiety level. And I think that, um, coaching helped a ton because coaching gave me, you know, an income that was more stable. It like, Mm -hmm. it gave me other stuff to focus on and I'm really grateful for that. But I think that, uh, if I could do, if I could do my career over again, I would do it with, I would do it starting with the knowledge that as somebody who is prone to anxiety, not only do I need to take my sort of self-management very seriously in, in terms of like my diet, exercise, things like that, but I also need to recognize that I'm inherently more prone to being afraid of failure than other people would be. And that might affect anything from the game selection that I choose when playing in tournaments. It might affect the preparation process that I go through before I play each time. There's any number of things that it could affect. But like I say, if I could start my career again, I would do it with that in mind. And I would plan my career around the, around that fact, instead of trying to, I guess, like replicate the career that I thought a bunch of top pros were having, um, Mm. and try to just like follow what was like the done thing in terms of poker success. Um, I think I did that for a long time and I didn't have any real success doing it. Um, so I, I think that, you know, if I could go back with that info, I would certainly do things differently. Yeah, I find it absolutely fascinating that that somebody, you know, from from that young of an age, you know, with with that, you know, struggling with anxiety and depression and the experience that you had ended up finding a career where the words probability of ruin are an actual thing. Like, it's it's amazing to me Um, that you didn't become, you know, you know, an accountant or an actuary like I am or it's just uh, punch the clock kind of thing. That's so interesting. It's kind of ridiculous, huh? Um, It's not ridiculous. uh, I think it's interesting. No, I mean, like, yeah, ridiculous is my word. Ridiculous is, (laughs) it's really my word. But um, no, I I think the, the funny part of it is I, what I only know now, and this is this is literally a discovery I made in therapy about four months ago, maybe a bit less than that. Um, the basic reason why I was attracted to poker in the first place is because it was the closest thing that I could get to replicating how I felt when I played video games as a kid. So it was oh. like, like when I was a kid, playing video games was like my thing that I would do with all my spare time. And I was never, no, no one in my family ever said to me, Hey, maybe you should become a game developer or Hey, maybe you should like, I mean, competitive esports wasn't really a thing when I was growing up, but like no one, no one encouraged me in that direction. It was always like, mm-hmm. you have to find something, you have to find something else. Something that you real. Really mm-hmm. Yeah. Something real that you enjoy. Um, so I went down all these other directions and I ended up stumbling into poker. But what I now know is that that feeling of being like totally immersed and focused on one thing, that flow state feeling. Mm. Um, I used to get that as a kid playing video games and my initial attraction to poker was because it gave me that thing to really just focus on and be really immersed by. Um, and, uh, and that kind of puzzle element. And, and I, when I started thinking about playing poker for a living, I thought, well, this is going to be just like, sitting down on my computer to play video games every day. Like I can, I can do that. You know, I, I started thinking of it like that. And I only know this looking back now, of course, but like part of the reason why I'm looking with this Twitch project and things like that to 
transition into a space where I can, I can operate in, 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 a, in a gaming sphere as well as just a poker sphere is because that was the, like what I know now is that was the thing I really loved growing up. And I was encouraged away from that. It wasn't just that I was like never given a platform to do that. It was, I was actively told like, stop playing video games so much. Um, and it just feels like for anybody, if you grow, if you're growing up wanting to do a certain thing and you're told, don't do this thing, mm -hmm. you should not want to do this thing. This should, this is not a good thing to like, if you're told all of that consistently, then as an adult, you're going to grow up with some warped perspectives about exactly what makes you happy. And this is what happened to me. You know, for a long time, I didn't really know what it was that made me happy or what it was I was passionate about, what kind of people that I wanted to hang out with, what kind of people I wanted to be friends with all these things. Um, and it, a lot of it was because I, it took me, it took me years of, um, introspection and, and therapy and digging into my own psychology and, you know, long conversations with my wife about various random things, um, to figure out that, or to like unravel all of the stuff about myself that actually wasn't quite right for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, it was sort of like, you, you look at a decision you made when you were 18 and you're like, why did I do that? And then you realize that that led to another thing when you were 21. And then that led to another thing when you were 25. And then when you were 29, you did this and et cetera, et cetera. And now you're 33, which I am now. And yeah, I'm not looking back and going like, man, my whole life has been just a mess or anything like that. I don't, there's very few things that I actively regret, but like, I'm certainly looking at it and saying, well, if I could go back with perfect information, I would put myself down a different path for various reasons. And so maybe there's a way for the path that I'm on now and that path to intersect in some way that can lead to a greater sense of fulfillment for me. And I suppose that's the path that I'm on now. Yeah, it's hard for me to not have this picture of you playing video games and being yelled at, put down that video controller and go learn French and transnational studies. That's, that's like, pretty much it. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if anything, uh, it was probably more like, I'm trying to think of what the, I wouldn't, I don't think there was a specific thing I was like encouraged into. Yeah. I think it was more just like anything, anything else. That, yeah. It's just this, this idea that there's certain jobs, which are like real jobs or like productive right. jobs, you know, it's like, go be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, whatever else, like those kinds of generic things. And I got, I always got the sense that yeah. growing up my, I've, I always got the sense that everybody around me was waiting for me to like pick a thing that I wanted to be, you know, pick, pick a category I wanted to fall into. And I never liked that idea. I never liked the idea of being pigeonholed into a certain category. And, um, I, I wanted to have a bit more flexibility and choice. Um, I wanted to have a bit more, um, a, a freedom to adapt, I guess, uh, and to, to have different things in my life and not just do, not just work a nine to five, I suppose. Um, and I'm very thankful that poker has given me that, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful that I have the ability to determine my own working schedule and, and determine my own hours and things like that, um, on a, on a consistent basis. So, um, yeah, that's certainly something I'm, I'm very grateful for. So Matt, I just wanted to jump in because you you mentioned both your current path and you kind of teased this Twitch project that you're working on. But I'm wondering so, if you can uh, kind of uh, fill in the listeners a little bit more about it specifically. What what is your, that you're doing on on Twitch related to sure, mental health? Yeah. So so what I'm doing uh, right now is I'm uh, streaming three times a week. I'm streaming a whole bunch of different video games and uh, and kind of getting in that um, in that into that sort of live live streaming content space. Uh, with a view to creating a, a, what I want to do is create a community that 
engages people in promoting openness around mental health. So that allows people to feel like they have a community that is supportive um, and that, and where they can discuss whatever they're going through on an open basis, but also where we can kind of benefit from the knock-on effect that comes where, uh, when anybody is experiencing better mental health. So what I mean by that is if let's say, if we take me as an example, if I'm, if I am doing better in my mental health, if I feel more supported, if I feel like I have resources around me that can help me, then my wife benefits from that. And she gets to experience uh, a better version of me. And when she benefits, that means I get to experience a better version of her and everybody that interacts with either of us gets to experience a better version of either of us because we're happier, we're more fulfilled. And the, the thing that I sense in society these days, um, the generation that I identify with, I guess the people who are anywhere between about 25 and 35 right now, or 25 and 40, I think the, I think mental health has been a big struggle for people in that age bracket. Um, and I think that, if we have more communities available to us in which people feel comfortable being open about these things, if in which they feel supported in which they feel like they are, uh, they're not alone, that they're not going through a unique experience that nobody's ever gone through before. Then the knock on effect, when we think about like when, when all of these people in that generation have kids and you know how, how that'll affect their kids when they, when they grow up and how that'll affect things, 20, 30, 40 years down the line for the world that we live in, if we have more communities where people are empowered to actually talk about these things, then it can only lead to greater benefit for everybody. And um, the way I tend to look at it is, is that what we're, when, we, when we talk about mental health, what we're really talking about is, is well-being and people's emotional experience of life. And what we're also talking about when we talk about well-being and emotional experience and things like that is anything that relates to people's general uh, level of fulfillment, their prosperity, their anything, to, you know, even wealth and things like that. Like we're talking about improving people's emotional experience of life, improving people's day-to-day -day lives. And when you think about it, everything is mental health to a degree because improving somebody's, getting somebody a better job is improving their well-being. It's improving their mental health. Making sure somebody's not in poverty is improving their mental health. Everything that we do as a society to try to make things better for everybody is in itself an effort to improve people's average mental health. And when you make things better for a group of people, and then that makes things better for another group of people and so on and so on and so forth, um, it creates a big impact. So what I'm hoping to do is create that kind of a community um, to, uh, to, I guess, show some leadership in that regard and try to build it myself uh, if I don't see it out there. And, um, you know, I, there are communities out like, like that out there, for sure. I, I, I'm not trying to say that there aren't, but I, I think it was important to me to feel like I was being part of the solution. Um, so I, uh, I think the, the goal generally is to use this platform of streaming video games, of you know, being able to just kind of hang out and talk to people and, uh, you know, create a, an open space for that kind of discussion, uh, to, to build a community. Um, and it's a, it's a big project, but it's one I'm excited about. Yeah. And what, one of the things I'm really excited about both that you're talking about this through, through multiple channels and, and, and this Twitch project is the fact that I think in 
Well, I don't know. I, I should probably ask you what, what you think of in terms of uh, sort of poker and mental health. But it seems to me like my experience is that poker is a game where we talk about the mental game, where we talk about um, sort of mental toughness. But it is sort of this sort of uh, insular. We expect people to rise to the occasion. We expect them to sort of like withstand pressure. You know, there's all this sort of stuff that's involved necessarily in a game that applies a lot of pressure to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a, just that's the nature of, of poker, yeah. But it's sort of necessarily, or not necessarily, but it, it may be uh, a side consequence of that is it sort of like makes sort of these other topics maybe a little bit more taboo in the mm-hmm. field of poker. Like we just expect poker players to be able to sort of like withstand this stuff and like that. Well, they're obviously going to be able to do this because they can withstand somebody three betting them, so they can obviously withstand you know any other kind of uh, mental yeah. health struggles. And I'm I just curious about yeah. your your. your your feelings to that. And like, I, I just, am really excited about your approach to this. I think it's a, it's a space that really needs uh, this kind of light drawn to it, but I'm, I'm curious what yeah. you think about the game of poker and sort of mental health in relation to it. Yeah. I mean, I think largely everything you say there is very correct. I think there's a, there's a narrative about what a great poker player is in poker that exists. And I think that largely that narrative involves a player being able to, pretty much deal with whatever might come in terms of bad beats or, you know, circumstances that might emerge at the table and just take a completely kind of stoic attitude, you know, uh, and just to, to basically just be able to be like, okay, I, you know, I took the worst beat of all time and I just took it like a, you know, took it like I, I was completely unaffected by it. Um, but then there's also a double standard because on the one, on the one hand, we hold up players who, are completely like emotionless to a point where it's like, it's not healthy to be that emotionless. We, we know that we don't want people to be that way in everyday life. And yet we, we worship that in poker. And then the double standard is we demonize people like Phil Hellmuth who are actually really emotionally involved in the game. Now I happen to think a lot of Hellmuth's the way that Phil Hellmuth's emotions manifest themselves at the table are really bad for the game. I don't think he behaves very well. I don't think he, expresses himself in a, a productive way. And I, uh, I'm not a, a big fan of the guy as a whole, but I do think that we can't have it both ways as an industry. We can't hold up people like, uh, the guys who are like completely emotionless at the table. Like if you, I mean, look at like probably the best example would be someone like one of the one of the European guys that you see that's out there, like Makita Badjakulski or someone like absolute crusher, like one of the absolute best players does not show any emotion at the table, most likely because he just has a really solid mental game and all those things. But are we really worshiping these players because they don't experience emotion or are we doing it in the inverse? Are we assuming that not experiencing emotion must be the goal because these are the best players and that's what they're doing or that's what we think we're seeing. Um, and I think that's that in large part is, is what's actually going on. I think we're seeing the best players out there in these tournaments. Cause this is basically all we see of them. We see them in high rollers. We see them in super high roller cash games on the Triton games and everything. And we see them largely not experiencing a lot of emotion at the table. And we think, okay, if this is the best player in the world, or if these are the best players in the world, that's what I, that's what I should try to be like. I should, if I want to get better, I should try to be like that. Um, and on a, on a certain level, yeah, if you want to get better at poker, 
like tilting and just slamming the table every time you lose a flip is not going to help. But on another level, we also have this element where we're, we're now like every, every time a player is out there being emotional, there's no, um, it's like, there's no healthy emotion that gets shown at the table. You know, it, there's no, like there's, there's players who are like out there, like screaming and raging. And then there's the, the, the video of like, I think there's like a Brazilian guy who's like dancing around where he thinks he thinks he's about to win a world series bracelet. And then he takes a bad beat and he's like, the other, like he, cause he was like laughing in the other guy's face and then he loses and everyone's like laughing at him now. Um, basically there's all of these instances that you can find where there's emotion being expressed in a kind of an unhealthy way where someone's really angry about a hand or someone's like berating the other guy, or it's like Tony G is like acting like a complete dick at the table because he wants the guy to call him on the river or something like that. There's all of those instances of showing showcasing emotion in a way that might be entertaining, but it's really unhealthy for the game. And then you've got the flip side of these guys are, um, you know, these guys are like completely stoic and you don't, what you don't have is some kind of balancing force. Like you don't have uh, an aspect where people can show healthy emotion. You know, there's every now and again, you'll get like, Oh, the guy won the main event and ESPN will show you two minutes of him celebrating with his family and stuff. But like, there's somehow this is a game that we all enjoy. We all play it because we enjoy it. And yet none of it's like, we're not supposed to express that enjoyment. We're not supposed to have fun with the game. We're not supposed to not take it super seriously. Um, you know, we're, we're going to, if we make bad plays, people are going to like yell at us and call us a fish and all these things. And all the pros hate each other. And all the pros are like having feuds with each other and heads up grudge matches all the time. And like, there's, there's just a lot of elements to the community and elements to, to poker as a game in terms of how we relate to each other that they don't match up, you know, that they don't match up with what we want the game to be. And, um, I, we want the game to be a place where everybody feels welcome and where people can have fun and experience something positive. You know, we don't want people to have a choice of experiencing nothing and being completely emotionless or being su on super rage tilt all the time. Um, we want there to be some positive emotion there. Um, and I, I don't know how we make that happen, but I think it starts with people not arguing so damn much. Yeah. And just, just quick, I know John has a question here, but just, you know, the other thing that we, even as a poker kind of culture do is we, we almost, uh, we almost look down on that kind of that joy that comes out. I mean, you hear about, mm -hmm. you know, like somebody fist pumps and it's like, Oh, that's an insult to me personally, just because they, yeah. you know, they hit their one outer on the river and they fist pump and it's like, Oh, you jerk, you fit, you know, like, and they're just like, yeah. you know, it's like mm -hmm. they hit their one outer on the river, you know? And so, yeah. and like, I, I try to just accept that as just like somebody mm -hmm. expressing joy. And, you know, there's a difference between expressing joy and sort of like, rubbing it in my face that they just hit the right. one outer. And I think there's that balance in between there mm -hmm. that, sure. that I think we as a poker culture could maybe be a little more accepting of the fact that people get happy sometimes. Right. And I think that, um, for the most part, for the most part, I think that a lot of pros have the right approach in that regard. I think pros, I think there's, there's a lot of pros who are very, um, keen to make sure that recreational players have the best experience at the table. There's a lot of pros who do the right things in terms of making it enjoyment, making it enjoyable for people, but there's obviously a lot of pros who don't. And, um, 
if we didn't have those pros who don't make the game more enjoyable for recreational players, then this may not be a conversation we would even need to have, you know, because the, the game would be a lot more fun. Um, but the, the reality of it is that the, the disconnect that's always created is that when you start to prioritize something other than what is, what is going to make me the most money, if, if, as soon as your priorities go from, I want to have the most money to, I want to make the most money to, I want to have the most fun. Now you're sacrificing a certain amount of potential EV, potential money. And what happens is when the stakes get higher and higher, the amount of money you're sacrificing by not being completely focused on playing your absolute best gets greater and greater. So you have hypothetically this, this space that occurs where everybody at a certain, or at least a, a higher proportion of people at a certain level are taking the game super seriously, which makes it less incentivized for people to play those games because they're not fun anymore. And then the recreational money just kind of dries up. And so the, the poker economy, what I've, what I've said for a long time is the poker economy hinges on recreational players enjoying the game as much as possible at every level. And the day people stop playing poker for fun will be the day that poker dies. It won't be anything to do with win rates. It won't be anything to do with rake. It won't be anything to do with what game sites are offering and what they aren't. It'll be when people stop playing for fun and people only play for the money, poker will die. And the problem with that is if you want people to play for fun, you have to let them act how they want to act. But in return, they have to be willing to obey a certain kind of code of decency in exchange. And this, this balance of recreational players, we want, we want you guys, we want recreational players to have fun. We want everybody to have fun. We want everybody to act how they want to act. Um, we don't want people to be abusive. We don't want people to create a bad environment at the table. We want the community to be welcoming to everybody. We want all of that. But at the same time, what we want is for there to be a certain number of people in the community who are just dumping off a bunch of money for everybody to win. Um, the, the biggest problem with poker or the, the biggest challenge poker has to figure out in how to make itself self-sustaining is currently a big portion of the poker economy is accounted for by the small number of, for lack of a better phrase, whales who, who donate a lot of money to the poker economy. Um, and unfortunately, in any casino in the country, in any card room you can go into, there will be somebody who can point out to you the local whale who spends a lot of money at that casino every month and acts like a complete asshole but the casino tolerates him because he spends so much money there and everybody at the table tolerates him because he's donking off stacks left, right, and center. And somehow poker has to figure out a way to survive in an environment where ideally we don't want people behaving like that, but we also don't want to be dependent on that guy's money for our survival. And that, that is a challenge that the, the industry as a whole is going to have to face, I think, because we want people to spend money and have fun and, and we want there to be winners in the game and losers in the game. We don't want everybody to just break even. We don't want it to be massively raked to the point where no one can play professionally. We don't want any of these things, but we also don't want to have a game where we require to have a certain percentage of 
abusive rich assholes in the community at any given point that basically treat the community as their playground to just go in and be insulting to people and yell at them and, and all of these things. You know, that's a, it's a tricky challenge for the whole industry. So I'm going to change gears slightly. And sure. a lot of this reminds me of uh, things that are really optimizing for excellence. Back mm -hmm. in the 90s, there was, and 80s for that matter, and maybe even some today, people kind of used to brag on, you know, this guy only gets three hours of sleep a night. This guy gets <laughs> two hours of sleep a night. And now yeah. they're realizing that your overall effectiveness and your performance is better if you actually take care of yourself so you can get an adequate amount of sleep. Yeah. And it seems there is a good parallel with the mental health thing so yeah. that it's not just about making life more enjoyable, although that's a huge part, portion of it. Taking care of your mental health will actually allow you to perform better and allow you to withstand negative things better. I know yeah. for me personally, I've uh, my wife has had some severe mental health issues uh, that has sometimes been almost completely incapacitating. Mm -hmm. And watching that from the outside, I totally get where you're saying in it makes her life better. It makes my life better when she's on in even keel. Everything is better for everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think it's, it's an incredibly important thing. And I think there's, it helps you selfishly and it helps everyone else to take care of yourself and people need yeah. to start to remember and understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that it was, the, the time in my, in my career when I started to understand that taking care of myself allowed me to take care of the people around me better and allowed me to perform my job better and allowed me to just be better at everything, you know, getting, getting more sleep and things like that. Um, all of that, uh, it took me probably way too long to realize the value of that. But I can certainly say that ever since I started paying much closer attention to all these things. Uh, it's been a, a huge upgrade in, in, in my life. And, uh, I would assume in the lives of, of the people that I'm in contact with as well. So I would, uh, I would certainly agree there for sure. Well, and I, I think another important thing, you know, as you mentioned, just getting it out there and making it okay for people to talk about, mm -hmm. uh, to understand yeah. that there really is no difference in taking care of your mental health. You wouldn't, feel bad if you said I broke my arm and therefore I need to go to a doctor. Yeah. Uh, and there really should be nothing different about taking care of your mental health as well. Exactly. And that's the, that's the point that I would love to love for us to get to as a society. You know, I, I would love for us to live in a, a society where it was okay for somebody to call up their boss and say, Hey, I'm experiencing a lot of anxiety today. I need a day off. Um, you know, that, that being okay is something that we're, Certainly in the States, with, work, with the way working culture works here, I think we're decades away from that. Um, and it's unfortunate that that's the case. Uh, you know, here, it's, uh, it seems like we're decades away from you know, being able to take a day off even for the broken arm situation, let alone um, the actual mental health situation. So I, uh, I, want to, I want to be a part of changing things in that regard. And I... You know, I would encourage other people out there, anybody who's listening to this that, that owns a business or anything like that, I think making it, um, making it clear to people who 
uh, who are in your environment that you believe it's important that they take care of themselves in this regard and making, uh, making workplaces friendly for people with mental health issues um, and making the environments in which we operate friendly for, for that is, uh, is important too. And I think my, my generation or uh, the, the younger generations that are around today, people younger than myself, I think very much have a, an ingrained understanding of the idea that some people are introverted and don't necessarily love you know, being around a lot of people or some people, um, you know, let's say, uh, even taking it further and looking at, um, the way that accommodations are now being made for, uh, people with autism and people with other disabilities that, so that they can join the workforce. That's fantastic to allow people to, um, to, to be accommodated in that regard, but it needs to go far enough that people with mental health issues, people who have, let's say PTSD or people who have, schizophrenia and things like that are accommodated for in a way where they're not just left to their own left to kind of uh, survive in whatever way they can for 80 years and we're at, they're actually taken care of i think that um that that level of of progression uh, as a, as a society is still some way off but i would like to think that the generation that i'm part of has enough consciousness around mental health that we're hopefully going to start fixing things in that regard yeah, it's interesting you share that. So I worked at a very forward-thinking Fortune 500, Fortune 50 company, mm-hmm. uh, and I had my PTSD-related anxiety as an analytic, and they put me in the middle of a open office workspace uh, in HR. <laughs> so someday I'll tell you that story, Matt. It was like, okay, <laughs> this is not helpful. Um, yeah, that doesn't you know, sound helpful. <laughs> the, the stories I could tell. Um, but <laughs> but a couple, just a couple of questions. I know we want to wrap up sure. here. This is fantastic stuff, but I really want to get to this question for sure uh, yeah, because you, you mentioned it several times. Um, and and the, the idea of therapy. And I think yeah. um, just for the people that are listening that are maybe haven't been to a therapist or are reluctant to go to a therapist, mm-hmm. whether they have emotional uh, mental health issues or not or whatever, I think we all have mm-hmm. stuff that could benefit from. But um, I wasn't really a therapy believer until I went through therapy and I'm like, why did I not do this 25 years ago for the issues that I've had my entire life? Uh, I'm curious, yeah. so, you know, what message would you give to folks that, that are out there going you know, whether it's a mental health issue or it's just something else from their past or something they can't get over that are reluctant to go to a therapist to get help. What's, what's your message? I think there's, um, I think the, the message would be that if you, if you look at the history of your life, whoever, whoever is listening to this, if you look at the, the history of your life, there will be something that happened a long time ago that still causes you some kind of emotional discomfort. And if you were to spend enough time uh, digging around in your own psychology, enough time introspectively looking at yourself, you'd probably find that that would have much more of a knock-on effect than you'd think. And on top of that, you'd find other things and you'd find other areas where there's emotional discomfort around certain things. Uh, And if you don't think that you can find these things, if you look back at the history of your life and you're like, nothing gives me emotional discomfort, then... I guess congratulations on having solved being a human being. Um, I, everybody has these things. And the, the reason I point this out is because I honestly believe every single person on the planet can benefit from therapy. But the mm-hmm. caveat there is that the therapist has to be the right therapist. And yeah. finding a good therapist is, it's kind of, it's a lot like if you were to try to find the right poker coach. You have to find somebody who 
has the right kind of methodology, the right kind of background and experience for what you're looking for. There are a number of different ways to be qualified as a therapist. There are a number of different uh, accreditations you can get. There are, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, there are a number of different styles that a therapist can adopt. And any of them, everything from straightforward talk therapy to uh, therapeutic methods like EMDR, or um, th there's a number of different, uh, I mean, there's any, there's just any kind of methodology you can think of, really. Um, there will be some kind of methodology that is applicable to people with the specific experience that, that you have had. And the, the reason for that is because nobody goes through a unique experience. All of us go through experiences that have something in common with some degree of you know, the population around us, some percentage of the population around us has gone through a similar experience. And that means that there will be a therapist, ideally a therapist that is within your uh, geographical region, but even if there isn't, online therapy is very much a thing these days. Um, I think that uh, if, you, if you are unwilling to at least be open to the possibility of seeing a therapist, one of two things is true. Either your life is absolutely perfect, in which case, congrats, or the thought of seeing a therapist is actively scary or painful, in which case you really need to see a therapist. Because as soon as you start to get to the point where you, there's something that you really don't want to be talking about or you really don't want someone to ask you about, that's the shit that really needs therapy. And uh, that's probably the thing that was the most impactful for me. And there's still stuff, there's still stuff that I haven't talked about with my therapist that I'm like hesitant mm -hmm. about. And if you still, if you have that stuff, if there's, so, if there's stuff in the back of your mind is like, I really don't really want to talk to somebody about this. If somebody asked me about this, I really would just be like, uh, no, I don't want to talk about that. That's the stuff you have to like pick at and just hack away little chunks of it through talking to somebody. And over time that will start to produce massive improvements in quality of life. Uh, and I can say that cause I've been through it. It is so relatable. You know, I mean, I, that's, that's kind of my thing too. Like, hey, we should talk about that. No, no, I've spent 40 years packing that away. Why, why, why do I want to reopen that? Thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even though, you know, I know it's the very thing that would, would do me the most benefit. Um, yeah. So as we, as we wrap up, so, you know, if I'm curious about this because even, you know, chatting with you about it, I wasn't necessarily sure how to, how to approach it you know, how, how to sure. approach it. And I think there can be a, a, a concern, I think, for some people, if, if somebody says they have a mental health issue, they, they have, they suffer mm -hmm. from depression, they suffer from anxiety. Sometimes I wonder a little bit like, should I be doing something different? Should I like, how, how or how can, better yet, how can I help that person? Like, or is it not even my role to help them? Like, it, what, talk to the people that are out there going, sure. okay, I, I now know these people that are, that are sort of being brave and saying, I've got a mental health issue, but mm -hmm. I don't know, am I supposed to be different around them? Or, you know, what's, what's your message I, to the people that want to help? I think largely um, the, what I would say is uh, make it known to them that you are okay with them being honest when you ask them mm. uh, how they're doing. So like, if you have someone in your life that you think, hey, this guy, this guy's probably, this guy probably has anxiety or this guy might be going through a bit of a rough time right now. Um, and you text them and say, Hey man, how, how's it going? Like, how was your weekend or something like that? And they give you the standard, like, Oh, you know, it was fine. That kind of reply, press them on it. Like say, really? Like, cause mm -hmm. you kind of seem like you're, you kind of seem like you were having a rough time or, uh, you kind of seem like 
maybe last week was rough on you or whatever, whatever it is. Like, don't allow someone to just say to you, yeah, I'm fine. If you think that they're not fine. Like, of course, sometimes people are fine and that's, that's great. But like, make it clear to them that when you ask them how, you, how they're doing, you actually care how they're actually doing. Because I think the, the biggest trap that is so easy to fall into with the way that our culture has evolved and how conversational we are is we ask each other how we're doing all the time, but no one, no one fucking means it at all. Mm-hmm. Like, and we're, we're like, oh, how's it going, man? And it's like, you don't actually care how this guy is. He's a client or like he's, you know, he's some guy that you see at work once a week when he do- makes a delivery or like something like this. You don't actually care how, how this guy is. And I'm not saying, you know, pretend to care about these people or like, I'm not saying don't say how's it going to somebody if you don't actually care. I'm saying that with the people in your life that you actually do care how they're doing, make sure that they know that and make mm-hmm. sure that they recognize that if they wanted to speak about something personal, if they wanted to be open about the fact they were having a really shitty month and things were going badly or something like that, make sure that they know that you're there. And sometimes that's going to require conversations that feel a bit weird. Sometimes it's going to require putting yourself in a position where you say to somebody like, Oh, Hey, I'm here. If you ever need to talk about anything and they're actually fine. And they're like, dude, like what's going on? You know, like, I'm fine. Why are you, why are you like pushing me like this? But that's a small price to pay for the one time that they're actually in a rough spot and they really do need somebody to talk to. So I guess, um, just be, be willing to be genuine when you actually check in on somebody, I suppose. I love it. Good stuff. Well, okay. So Matt, we're going to wrap up there, but sure. you know, people are listening to this. This has been super helpful. Uh, I love your journey that you're on. I love that you're being public with it. Uh, obviously it's going to be helping hundreds if not thousands of people that are, that are connected with you. So how can people connect with you, whether it's on social media or the, the Twitch project that you're on? Uh, how how sure. can we do that? So, uh, my Twitter is, uh, at mental health gaming. Uh, it's mental M N T A L. I, I didn't have space for the full, the full thing. M N T A L H L T H gaming. Um, and, uh, the Twitch project, uh, my Twitch stream is, uh, mental underscore health underscore gaming. Um, it's pretty straightforward. I'm also going to likely be like double streaming to YouTube at the same time. So, mm. um, I think I'm on YouTube. I think I'm just M H gaming. Um, it's possible I'm going to, I, this fun fact I discovered recently, there's another guy with a, a YouTube channel called mental health gaming and a Twitch and a, a Twitter account called mental health gaming and all and a website called mental health gaming. So I, um, I may have to rebrand, uh, based on all this, but, um, for now I am mental underscore health underscore gaming on Twitch. Uh, and I'll be streaming, uh, every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 9am Pacific. Um, I'm excited because tomorrow we get to play one of my favorite games of recent years called God of War. So I'm uh, looking forward to that very much. <laughs> he's smiling big. If you're, if you're not watching yep. the podcast, you're listening, he's got the big smile. Well, any, anything else that you're kind of hoping we would have covered over these last couple episodes uh, that we didn't oh, cover no, or any, any kind of gone, final words? For a, you've gone into a lot of depth. Um, I don't think there's too much else. We covered the mental health stuff. We covered a lot of poker stuff. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm about spent, I think. Yes. All right, Matt. Well, thank you so much. We, we've got some other business we're going to take care of here. Uh, so feel free to sign off uh, with, with our gratitude. No problem. Thank you, man. Thanks, I appreciate Matt. you having me. I'll, I'll come Thanks, back Matt. anytime. Good to meet so, you guys. Very enlightening. I think it's really courageous what he's doing. I know that my age, 
which is, you know, at least 10 years older than anybody else in this panel. Um, there's, always been a, a, <laughs> there's always been a stigma, I think, with mental health from, you know, from when we were very young. It was always man up, rub some dirt on it, mm, get going, yeah. you know. Um, so I think what Matt had to say was very important about what the younger generation is starting to do and starting to realize the importance of, of taking care of yourself, not only physically, but mentally. So I thought, I like his message. I really think that's something that is uh, going forward. It's going to help the world, basically. Oh, yeah, I agree. It's it's great stuff. And like all the stuff he's doing on Twitter, he's getting people engaging, uh, you know, in conversation about mental health. And then I'm really excited for the, you know, to, to get some, to see some more of the Twitch channel and that kind of stuff, just because there's a lot of good conversations that are happening. And he it's he's using his platform to kind of promote that. And that's a great, great thing. And it just, it seems so needed too. just the early, you know, just the early, I mean, he's only been doing this for a really short time, it seems like, but uh, the the results so far, people have just been kind of really like, thank you so much. And I really needed a space like this. And this is such a missing conversation in poker and in gaming. And um, so it's, it's, it's really exciting what, what it um, maybe has the potential to turn into too. Yeah. And I think it's also, uh, interesting as people look as a it as a way of kind of optimizing your life that i mean you wouldn't think just because you're healthy doesn't mean you shouldn't go to the gym and just because you don't have any dramatic issues doesn't mean you wouldn't improve your life by improving your mental health yeah, I talk about this all the time as a, as a business coach, you know, I think most business owners could use a coach. And I think just like LeBron James as a shooting coach and Tiger Woods as a swing coach. And yeah, I, I think a lot of us can really benefit from a therapist. Uh, it's another way to optimize your life. I love it. It's, I think it's GTO for life is, is having a therapist uh, mixed in there. And yeah, but you know, all everything you guys said, the courage, and, and I love that, you know, there's another resource available. So, you know, as we encounter people, people get a hold of us and they're, they're struggling with depression or anxiety. I love that Matt is out there that I can say, you know, here's somebody that maybe could help uh, if you connect with him and, and, you know, engage in his stream or whatever. I, I love being able to resource people in that way. So yeah, phenomenal stuff. And I, I was serious about what I mentioned. You know, I mentioned him and Fedor and Maria, like, wouldn't that be amazing? Like just here, here, just put a quarter in and you get here, just talk. I don't know what you're going to talk about, but just talk. <laughs> be phenomenal. <laughs> That's my million dollar quarantine idea, Chris. There you go. Uh, well, good stuff, guys. Uh, thanks again for jumping on there. I just wanted to quick remind everybody out there listening. Um, there's way too much stuff going on to try to lay it all out every single week. Uh, and with the timing of these things, you know, sometimes we could miss it or, you know, might be out there too far. So just sign up for the newsletter, uh, twerp. It's, it's, we call it twerp this week in rec poker. Uh, just go to the website, sign up for it there, stay plugged in with that. But, but just real high level Monday nights is when we record podcasts and seminars. And if you're a paid member, you can join these. You can actually chat with us and the, and the guests uh, as we do our thing. Tuesday nights, we do an online play and hang where we play the home game. And we also are out on Zoom, just hanging out, yucking it up, uh, ripping on each other. And that's free to anybody. Anybody can do that. Wednesday nights, we do a lot of content recording with the book study, learning with partners, monthly strat chat. Uh, we also do our monthly no limit hold'em, our monthly mixed tournaments. Uh, and we also do a special online play and hang just for paid 
paid members uh, where we hang out on Zoom uh, and we play uh, with all the paid members. That's really fun. Thursday nights, uh, we stream on twitch.tv slash poker. And every single night of the week, there's a free online home game. And then there's four or five days a week where we're releasing new videos uh, in some way, shape, or form. So a ton of stuff going on, but go to the website, check out the events calendar, uh, sign up for the newsletter. You'll hear all about that kind of stuff. Uh, and this week, uh, as you guys may have surmised, um, we actually recorded with Matt Hunt in one fell swoop. Uh, we actually recorded uh, two episodes. I gave away the secret. Big shock to all of you. Uh, but because of that, uh, we don't have uh, our, our home games update this week because we, we already shared that with you. Uh, and so next week, uh, Mr. Somsky is going to be charged with two weeks worth uh, of that. And then we'll probably be a one week behind as we, as we try to um, – try to get caught up on our, our production side of things. But anything, guys, anything else that's, that's happened recently that we want to make sure that the folks are aware of? Uh, or do we just keep telling them, go to the website, go to the website? Go to everything, go to the website. You know, we, we put posts out there. Like every day there's at least one or two posts of what happened, whether it's the home game results. Somsky does an amazing job. Uh, if you're not on Discord or whatever, go to the go to the website. Every day he puts out, here's who won. Here's who they battled heads up. Here's the final table. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, so go check that out. And then you also will know when everything else is being released. Go to the homepage. There's like a nine box there of all the latest stuff. You want to see what the latest book study is with Mr. Washam? Go click there. It's just phenomenal. So go check Check it out. Website market, an amazing job uh, setting that thing up. So uh, with that, guys, uh, unless I see anybody uh, flagging me to stop. I mean, the <laughs> only thing I the only thing I want to say is that you mentioned it. We put stuff out four or five days a week, and not all of that's just for our premium paid members. Um, right. like on a lot of our Friday videos are, if they're not free to the public, they're at least free to members in the community. So get a community account for free. It costs you nothing but your email address, and then you can take advantage of all these great videos that we put out each and every week phenomenal and if you're and if even if you're a free member you can become an affiliate for rec poker like if you want to tell the world about us sign up for the affiliate program it's free and then you get a kickback if anybody signs up using your link so you can do that as a free member uh go ahead john well i was just gonna say uh i did want to apologize this last sunday i got so busy i forgot to actually post the results so i had to post them both uh oh this morning my. but that is what? the first time that that's happened and hopefully the last so i've been bragging you up about this and you actually did you made a mistake first one oh man we had such a good run too that yeah under merit <laughs> it was eight months but he made a mistake <laughs> oh no, I'd, I'd made other mistakes either too. We used to know, we used to know you were in love. He's an IT nice guy. You can those. Nice knowing you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was Sorry a good run. So, uh, <laughs> it's been good knowing everyone, and I uh, hope you guys have fun with the podcast. Uh, <laughs> so awesome. All right. Well, there he goes. The nicest guy in poker. Oh, good run. Bad. I like Good run with Rick Poker. And, That's uh, too bad. Yeah. yeah well, nice, nice. Oh, can't wait till whatever. next week when we have uh, Sam Jonsky on. <laughs> the other way. Yeah, flip his, flip his image. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can we revert his image? Very nice. All right, guys. Fantastic stuff. Go to Rec.Poker. Sign up for the newsletter. Thank you, Running Aces, Racetrack, Casino, and Hotel. Thank you, Website Amp. Thank you, Learn Pro Poker. Uh, thank you once again, Matt Hunt. Amazing stuff. Thank you, Chris Jones, John Somsky, Rob Washam, Jim Reed, Andrew Feist. For them, uh, Steve Fredlin signing off, and we will touch base with you next week. <laughs>